Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, December 16th. As you listeners know, here at the Mini Break, we are already so excited for what should be another incredible season of tennis in 2020 that we're ready to start our off-season preview. We are looking at the players that we think will be the most consequential, the players whose successes and failures could come to define the upcoming 2020 season, and we are looking at those players both men's and women's side that we think could take big jumps. We Names that you may not know yet, but we think you will certainly know come the end of the 2020 season. Now, today's player we are previewing is one you will have known not just from her performances in 2019, but the way she has really come to the scene over the past three years. Of course, I'm talking about world number three and two-time Grand Slam champion Naomi Osaka, the 2019 Australian Open champion, 2018 U.S. Open champion, followed up her breakthrough season by reaching world number one this year right after she won that Australian Open. Now, the next eight months of tennis from Osaka, very much up and down. Early exits at the French Open and Wimbledon. A quarterfinal at the Italian Open, but still not the sort of success she wants outside of the hard courts that uh, for her in 2019. But she's certainly one of the most fascinating players to watch as we enter the season. As many young, talented players as there are on the WTA, uh, few, if any of them, in fact, I can say, none of the under-24 four-year-olds have two Grand Slam titles. Only Naomi Osaka has uh, achieved that sort of success. So she is a player that obviously we will all be watching closely during the 2020 season. And joining me today to help break down her year, to talk about what we liked from her in 2019, maybe the things we'd like to see her improve on the most heading into 20, was Nina Pantich. Now for you listeners who don't know, Nina, a writer, editor, producer at Baseline.Tennis.com. Her podcast, one of the most infamous in the tennis podcast business, of course, the Tennis.com podcast where she's had guests such as U.S. Fed Cup captain Kathy Rinaldi, uh, noted coach Paul Anacone, players like Chris Eubanks, obviously Arena Falcone with her all the time as well. A fantastic product. And the thing we're most thrilled about, she's our newest Tennis Channel Podcast Network colleague. So thrilled to finally get the chance to talk to Nina. We broke down Naomi Osaka again and talked about why uh, we are so confident about her heading into 2020, not just on the court, but the way she presents herself off the court as well. One of Time Magazine's People of the Year. All the success that comes to her, so well-deserved. And again, above all else, she is one heck of a tennis player. So with that in mind, here is Nina and my preview of Naomi Osaka. Joining 
Joining us now on the Mini Break Podcast, you may know her work as a writer, editor, and producer for Tennis.com. Of course, her podcast with Arena Falcone, tennis, the Tennis.com podcast, one of our favorite in the business. Recently, she sat down with pl- people such like Kathy Rinaldi, Chris Eubanks, Paul Anacone, getting a wide variety of perspectives to help you listeners you know, learn a little bit more about the tennis world. And of course, I am thrilled to now call her one of my sisters in the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Nina Pantage, welcome to the Mini Break Podcast. It is great to be here, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Oh, believe me when I say the honor is mine. You're the legitimate, you know, professional. You're part of the Tennis Channel system. I'm the ringer they're bringing in, so the honor is all mine. In a sense, y'all got to start somewhere. <laughs> exactly, something like that. And of course, uh, Nina, I know uh, we are brought you here today to continue our preview series, but uh, it's the off season for you. Well, you know, tennis is an 11, 11 and a half month sport. You enjoying a little bit of downtime right now? Ooh, sort of, you know, because I run baseline.tennis.com, kind of the sister site of tennis.com, a lot of that is off-court news. So vacations, changing coaches, uh, all those exhibitions you're seeing, that stuff is being covered every single day. So no matter what, we still have stories to cover every single week. No, it's unbelievable. If I was like a John Isner or Daniil Medvedev and they were, I mean, I'm sure they got plenty of money, but you could not drag me to another tournament for at least six weeks. I'd be like, I need just a little time. I don't know how they do it. I mean, I, I think I would need, I feel right now like I need a month off of just like not even thinking about tennis. I don't know how they do it, but I guess a week of vacation in the Maldives uh, will do that for you. Yeah, exactly. There are, there are certainly worse ways to spend your off-season. But again, as I mentioned, the reason we brought you here to continue our off-season preview here on the mini break, we will be looking at the players we think are most interesting heading into the 2020 season, reflecting on the uh, their 2019s and talking about the things we think they can improve, the things they did best in the past year, and explain to you listeners why they're a player to watch heading into 2020. And the player we chose today, uh, Nina, a player all fans across the tennis spectrum have gotten to know so well over these past two years. One of the rising stars on the WTA Tour, a two-time Grand Slam champion now entering her age 22 season. Naomi Osaka is the player we're going to be talking about today, and I wanted to start with our first question. And Nina, you suggested Naomi, although you know no one would deny she is one of the fascinating players to watch. But to you in particular, why is she so interesting heading into 2020? To me, she's one of those players that could dominate, and that's why I think 2020 will be so big for her, because she could win multiple slams in a season, and I don't really feel that way about any other player. I also just really love the fact that she's so different, honestly. It's it's a lot of it. Like I said, I do a lot of off-court coverage, and she's interesting. She's She's unique. Yeah, I, the the thing for you, she must permutate across all of your different spectrums because she's, you know, another new coach. So it's like that's something to report on. Uh, obviously, all of the success she's had on the court, she ends the season so well and then, you know, gets a little banged up, has to pull out of the year-end finals. I mean, yeah, you talk about Osaka. It, it is crazy to me that 12 months ago, Osaka was polishing off her second Grand Slam title. Uh, and even more surprising, she you know, that 5-3, 40-love she was up on Kvitova blows three match points comes back to win the third set and then from there it was a really topsy-turvy 2019 it was it's a it's hard because she started off so strong you kind of set the precedent for the rest of the year she really raised the bar for herself but then because she did so well her ranking stayed so high no matter what happened so it kind of gave her a bit of a buffer to work with 
I think having some ups and downs is natural and if anything probably very good at this point in her career to go through these tough losses and earlier losses and, and kind of fight her way back which she did I think the weirdest thing was definitely parting with her coach right after the Australian Open but you know a team takes a little while to stabilize after such a change and maybe that's what she needed to go through and then now hiring another new coach I mean I I don't know what's going to happen with her next but hopefully hopefully the team is stable yeah, I, I mean, we saw for her down the home stretch, even when it was just her dad coaching. It doesn't really matter who's coaching you when you're that talented, and certainly she comes and wins out, out and wins the China Open, wins a title in Japan as well to round out her year-end ranking. I think she's sitting at number three to end the year, so you know, for her, that's a career high. And you look at her overall win-loss in 2019, it was certainly a step forward. Now, it, she ended 2018, obviously, so well winning that U.S. Open, but overall on the year in 2019, she goes 40-11. She wins three titles in three finals, the most of her career uh, to date. And again, when you're winning 78% of your matches on the season at age 21, that's undoubtedly a step forward. Exactly. And a lot of a lot of her wins, especially the back end of the year, were against current former number ones, right? So it's not like she's just winning small tournaments. I think, yeah, I mean, when you look at her overall year, it's a great year, but maybe because of all the losses and a little bit in the middle there, you know, the first round at Wimbledon, I think it was um, early at the French Open as well, somewhat early at the U.S. Open, and you, you kind of look back at her year based on Grand Slam results, but she did a lot more around that, and that's something that's good to see because she has to find a way to win every week, not just a couple big ones. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of we're getting to question two of what she did that were, you know, the positives of 2019, but you mentioned her being a multi uh, time Grand Slam champion in the 21st century, and that's all you know as far back as the research I wanted to do because I feel like the modern game has changed a lot in the 21st century. I feel like even you know WTA, ATP, it's harder and harder for players at a young age to succeed than maybe it was ten, you know in the 90s, in the 80s. But in the 21st century, 28 women have won Grand Slams. Here's the list of players with two Slam titles before they turned age 22. It's Venus Williams, Serena Williams, Justine Ennin, Maria Sharapova, and Naomi Osaka. That's elite company. Now, Bianca Andreescu could certainly join that group over these next couple of years. Uh, She has herself in position. But, I mean, those are names you want to be associated with. That's an elite group. I didn't actually know that fact. That's some uh, that's some good research. That is <laughs> that is an amazing amazing stat. I think but again, it's also hard to follow up, right? Maybe she'll I mean, she won't do this, but you kind of think, well, I've won two grand slams, like I'm chilling, you know. But she also reached number 1 <laughs> in the world in January. So no matter how you look at her year, there's pros and cons and ups and downs, but number 1 ranking, another grand slam, I, you know, it's kind of it's kind of still a good a very good year for her and mm-hmm. So much potential to win more slams as long as nothing, nothing too drastic changes. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. 
It's amazing what you can do when the Lions are having a bad season and Wikipedia is available to you. You can really just some quick research right away. Solid, but... <laughs> solid research. Yeah, exactly. But the other stat I want to point to, because I'm glad you mentioned that resting on your laurels idea, because I wanted to go a step further. And, you know, that breakthrough moment, it, it's so monumental. And it for some players, it is such a, you know, that's the epitome of their career that they get the one slam they're good and you know there are players who come to mind the Schiavonis the Bartolis the Stozers not to say they you know won their slams and faded but that was certainly the pinnacle Uh, so I wanted to see players who won their first slam did any of them immediately win their second slam in their second event in the 21st century and only two other players did that Venus won her first two in a row and it was part of a four slams in six uh, streak and Jennifer Capriati won her first two slams in a row, and then she ended up winning in total three of the next five. Uh, some other players, Justine Annan won her first, had a slam gap, but went on to win three of four. Amelie Moresmo won her uh, won her only two of her career in a three-slam stretch. So that is something certainly to monitor, especially because of how many other talented young players there are right now on the WTA Tour who have shown the talent to, if they can put a great two-week stretch together, why couldn't they win a slam? Players from Obviously, Bianca Andreescu, Ashley Barty, who did it, but there's still players like the Pliskovas and the Halips and the Angeli Kerbers, who I'm sure no one wants to write off. Uh, so I guess my, we can use this as a way to segue into 2019. With all of these other young, talented players, what was it about Osaka's game that stood out? You know, you know, what were the positives that you took from her coming off the 2019 season? It's interesting because we followed her for so long when she was younger, like 18, 19, she had so much potential. So to see her start off 2019 so strong following that breakthrough at the U.S. Open really told a lot because she didn't just think of herself or even consider being a one-hit wonder. You know, she she believed in herself to win those seven matches again. It's not a quick turnaround, but it's, it's still the next Grand Slam. And I think that really set the stage for, hey, you know, she's not just going to be a flash in the pan. This is somebody that's going to be able to pick up multiple Grand Slams. I think, you know, coming back and having to defend Indian Wells is probably where things got dicey because defending a title is pretty different than just playing another Grand Slam. And, you know, you're riding high. You're the U.S. Open champion. There's nothing you can really lose. And I think going into Melbourne this year is going to be challenging because defending is what's just so hard. And, like, it just ruins so many players. And you're hoping that she's there mentally going into this first slam in 2020. Yeah, and, you know, for her, I think we saw the hardcore success continue, right? I think in over the course of this year, she went 30-7 and seven on hardcourts. That's following up a 29-13 and 13 season last year. I believe all three of her titles came on hardcourts this year as well with the wins in Japan, in China, and then that Australian Open. So in terms of one surface, I think she certainly asserted herself as a top five, top three player on the hardcourt. She's always going to be a threat. That serve, that backhand, just the power she has off of the ground. No one can deny how impressive she is there, but you know, you start to look at some of the stats for her this season, and shout out to the WTA Tennis website, which is where I'm getting a lot of these. You know, she won 71.9% uh, of her ser- first serve points in terms of on the year uh, compared to other players. That has her as number 13 uh, on the WTA Tour this season. In terms of second serve points, though, this is where she starts to struggle, and first serve uh, percentage and things of those nature, where she 
she falls outside of the top 40. So I guess, um, yeah, you know, as great as she was attacking the backhand, I thought she did a good job stepping up on returns this year. Uh, I was watching some highlights, that first set tiebreaker with Petra Kvitova. In, I think it's her first return point. She blasts a backhand down the line, and it's those sort of positives, the firepower, the aggression, the willingness to go big on a big point. I think all of that, again, continued from 2018 into 2019 for Osaka. And the serve. I mean, the serve is something you cannot overlook ever, especially in women's tennis. Her having such a powerful serve is easily, I mean, no matter what you say, the back end, the foreign, is, is her best weapon because that sets you up and gives you easy points when things are getting tough and dicey. I mean, see, Serena Williams has that one of the most powerful, one of the most stable and reliable serves that bails her out in the most key moments. And maybe Osaka isn't going to be as fast or as many aces as like a Karolina Pliskova, but it's effective and it's something she can rely on. I think you really can't. It's just so, so important. And it's such an advantage for Osaka. And it's something that it's 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 not going to go away. It'll only get better, right? Second serve, room for improvement. That's That's good. She's got something to improve on. I mean, she's number three in the world defending Australian Open champion, and you just pointed out this big gap of something she can fix. And a serve is one of the easiest things to work on, isn't it? So maybe not the easiest things to to get better and rely on in a 7-6 in the third kind of match, but it's definitely the easiest for her to work on. She's number nine for the year in terms of service games won. She won 77.5% of her service games. In terms of aces, it's funny you mentioned her not being as maybe powerful as a Pliskova. Well, she sits as number four on the year with 363 aces. Also, of the players in the top 14, and I cut it off randomly at 15 because that's Serena, but in the top 14, she's the only one with over 200 aces and under 100 double faults. Now, it's 99 double faults, but still, uh, that sort of first serve, the, the natural power, the ability to win free, uh, easy points. That's just something that is such a, a such an important thing to have on the WTA Tour because so many of these players, if you give them a shorter return, I mean, they're, they're on it. In particular, the Benchich match comes to mind from the U.S. Open where Osaka would fire second serve returns, and that's how Benchich would take control of points. That's how she was able to assert herself at the end of those two sets. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right that it's something pretty obvious, like a second serve that that's always going to improve over the course of your career. But I do think, you know, you look at some of the negatives and, you know, from a tennis perspective, she does so many, Naomi Osaka does so many things well, but you still have to worry. You know, she improved on the clay this year, uh, kind of stayed the same on the grass, but that's a full half of the season, the clay grass portion. And I still didn't see a big jump from her this year. On clay, I mean, it's not it's not the most natural surface for her, even though it's somebody that grew up training in South Florida, where there is uh, green clay, not quite the same. But at least, in, I mean, in, 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 right now, at least a lot of the season is on hard court. So really, you can kind of afford to be a little bit weaker on clay, and you're going to get away with it. She's going to get away with it for sure, because most of the events she's going for are going to be on hard. I mean, I... It's, it, it's weird when you think of someone like Maria Sharapova who turned her career around on clay. It was so kind of unexpected. Is Osaka going to focus on clay and try to get better? I don't think so. Not 2020. I don't think that's a priority for her at all. I think the interesting thing about her and that I've seen a notable improvement between the end of 2019 going ahead to January is her fitness level. You know, you kind of, not that she ever really had bad fitness, but it does seem that she's really improved in that department. And, and her one thing she needs to also improve is the health, right? A lot of injuries, small nagging injuries are going to cost you across the season. And seeing her retire the WHA finals 
two years in a row just shows you're kind of out of gas by the end of the year, and that's something that can also be improved on. Yeah, on the clay this year, she went five and four in 2018, nine and two this year. The grass again, six and three last year, one and two this year. Not great, but she was dealing with some injuries uh, at the Italian Open at Madrid. She made quarterfinals there after going uh, losing in the second round and first rounds last year. So that is a step up. Third round at the French Open, where I believe she beat Victoria Azarenka in the second round, which was a really big win for her, only to lose to Sinyakova. And you're right, it it gets to the things you'd like to see her improve and with all of the racket talent she has it's the little things like change of direction especially on the clay it feels like you can get away with hitting behind her uh, and that's really the way you have to beat her throw in drop shots keep her off balance because if you give Naomi Osaka time she's too good at everything else she is she is she's going to take control of a match and that's kind of one of her other advantages is just being so such a complete package that can just steamroll and suffocate an opponent with how big she's hitting and how much she takes control. And it's a lot easier to do that on on a hard court. And for a player who never really sees grass, that doesn't surprise me for the amount of injuries she had. Again, this is a lot of room for improvement for her on grass in 2020 and on clay. I mean, nothing really, it's not a bad thing. It's just things to get better at. Yeah. What about the volleying component? I feel like as good as she is at hitting that big ball and getting her opponent off balance, she is not one who's natural to move forward. I, can e- I can't even really picture the Nomi Osaka volley in my head right now. <laughs> the swinging forehand yeah, a little yeah. bit. That, yeah, that, okay, that is something to me that's like the most classic modern game uh, weapon is that swinging forehand, maybe even swinging backhand volley. I can picture that. That's, that's so important, but I, just, I can't really even think of her at the net. Yeah, and, you know, you look at her, and uh, you, you mentioned it. You can get away with especially grass not being your preferred surface. And over the course of her career, she really hasn't played that many matches on the grass, 11-9 and nine overall at the WTA level. Third round, third round, first round uh, results at Wimbledon thus far in the main draw. Uh, you mentioned it, but... For 2020, in the next step of Osaka, or I guess the next step of her development, do you need to even, do you think you need to see some success across those two surfaces? Or as you mentioned, does it not really matter because she is so good on hard court, which is so much of the year? I don't think it matters as much right now as it might later on when she's going to be trying maybe to get as many wins as possible across the whole seat. I mean, it just depends on how her career goes. Right now, she can probably afford to focus a bit more on the hard courts if she's going to be winning the Australian Open and the U.S. Open and the WTA Finals, I mean, the grass and the clay is going to it's gonna fall away pretty quick. So it just depends on how the rest of her year goes. I think if she has a really poor first five months of the season, maybe she'll want to focus more on clay and things will improve. Her mentality might be different going into clay if, if there's no points that she's picked up in the first few months. It just kind of depends on, on what, our, what our camp and what her team decides to focus on. It feels like right now it has not been services. It's been working on her mentality and working on her fitness and working on her winning big matches and sealing them off and believing in herself. And that confidence has, I think, skyrocketed going into the new year. I think that's where her biggest advantage and biggest maybe development has been is that confidence. And even, I mean, this is silly, but the other day on Twitter, she she tweeted, I'm comfortable with who I am as a person now. Like, I don't know why she would tweet that right now, but <laughs> it's a big thing. I mean, 22-year-olds right now are on the internet so much and there's a lot of hate and, and a lot of dealing with, you know, being comfortable in your own skin. And she's wearing crop tops now. I mean, I just think she's developed so much. And knowing 
even something as silly as being like, okay, she's 22 and she had to pick between Japan and the U.S. She didn't really. She knew what she was doing, but that's done. That's in the past. She's playing for Japan. We're going to go to Tokyo 2020. She's going to be the most popular athlete probably there. You know, it, it, being comfortable with who she is, is, it sounds like a minor thing and she should be super happy with who she is. But, you know, it, it's, it's steps you take as you're maturing as a human being, not just because you're Naomi Osaka, you should be happy. I mean, she's, she seems happy. Yeah, and we, she spoke uh, towards the end of the year with outlets like CNN, like the Washington Post. She's one of, I think, Time's uh, Magazine's People of the Year. And it's a testament to her. Just It's not only the on-court product, but the off-court. What she is as someone who's just so so sympathetic to just so many different causes, so many different people, someone who's so empathetic as well, someone who's so relatable and kind and almost, go- you know, she is a little goofy. There's no denying that. She has uh, a streak about her. She's shy. She likes video games games and isn't shy about that and how often do you hear about the nerdy things that tennis players are doing off the court but yes in interview after interview I completely agree with her and she even mentioned I think in a quote to CNN she says I'm just comfortable with who I am now and I think that was part of the struggle in 2019 is she became world number one she had all this extra burden as well as uh, you know the off-court coaching changes and trying to stabilize her own team and towards the end of the year she seemed to have gotten through that she seemed to have dealt with that been comfortable announcing she's going to represent Japan, which, as you mentioned, that they're hosting the 2020 Olympics only adds to the hype surrounding uh, that event and her performance there. But yeah, that that's so such an important part of maturing is, and being successful is balancing those two things on and off the court. And I think Ashley Barty, who's a little bit older, you know, when she had her success, she just handled it all in stride. And I think Osaka at first did struggle, but you're absolutely right. We see her grow more and more comfortable with each passing day. And, you know, we've seen what she could do with on the tennis court. So off once the nonsense off the court sort of slows down, just you have to wonder what her upside is for 2020 because she's that talented. Exactly. She's got huge upside. And, you know, even if she was to never win another Grand Slam and just stay in that ranking number three to ten zone for the next five years, I mean, that's still still pretty good. So I I think it's only so much potential for her to win big tournaments. For her to win in Tokyo doesn't seem ridiculous to me at all. For her to win uh, at least one Slam next year, it just seems so possible. You know, you don't think that there's anything really that's going to stop her aside from, you know, injuries. As we've mentioned a lot here, injuries and confidence, which seems to seems to have figured it out, which is great. So we've been alluding to it in terms of best case, worst case scenario. And, you know, you can never project injuries. But I suppose best case, I think we agree that her winning another Grand Slam on a hard court, her maybe dabbling into the second weekends of a French Open where she's, you know, she's made quarterfinals at high-level clay events or, uh, you know, getting a couple of wins at Wimbledon. Staying the course, that's the best-case scenario for her, right? Another 40-11, and 11, top 10 year-end uh, appearance for Naomi Osaka. Definitely, definitely. I think best-case would, def- would also include... Defending a title. I think that's a big step in her maturity and in her, her career trajectory is being able to defend a title is so important because it gives you that confidence for the next couple of weeks because you're not actually getting a loss in those ranking points. It's something that players like Simona Halep and, and you know, the Kerbers and everyone has had to go through. And now it's Osaka's turn to figure that out. And it's, it's going to be a big step for her. I think best case scenario, one slam, definitely. Uh, maybe defending one of her titles if it's Tokyo if it's Beijing if it's the Australian Open you know I any of those three would be would be kind of best case 
or a, or a medal at the uh, Olympics as well. I mean, well, yeah. Right? Okay. Any, well, yeah, I mean, any any if she, you know, she. <laughs> hopefully, it's hard because you think you know this is going to be the peak of her career in a way because like you're never going to get to play Olympic games in your country ever again, realistically, or it's impossible. So you either take this pressure and you really perform and take advantage of your chance or the pressure might come get to her and she might crumble and lose first round and regret it for the rest of her life. I mean, you just don't know. It's like such a, it's such a glass half empty, half full situation. And you're hoping a few wins, a bronze medal would be so, so huge, but you know, it doesn't really add anything to her actual ranking points, right? Or is it a ranking points? Uh, good question. I'm not sure. All I know is whenever people start yelling about big three versus big four, I always say, but Murray has two Olympic medals. He does. So, yeah. He does, yeah, and so, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I agree. So hopefully Osaka, yes, will have a scenario where she at least puts herself for competition into those medal rounds. And you mentioned worst-case scenario, she ends up empty there. She doesn't defend any titles. I think for me— and I think you would agree with this. She's shown such a proficient level on the hard courts that to see a complete drop-off in 2020 would just be you know, shocking uh, short of an injury. But to me, the worst-case scenario is more stagnation. It's you know her new uh, partnership with Wim Fissette doesn't work out, and she's still trying to find that rhythm off the court. It's that on the clay, on the grass, she stagnates or even takes a step back, loses first round or early again in both of those slams. That That's the worst-case scenario, right? Because she's too good on the hard. I mean, that sort of skill, that sort of level doesn't just fall off. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, worst case scenario for sure would be struggling with figuring out her team because that just takes away from what you're doing on the court. And it's something that you can control. You know, who, who you decide to hire is something that's completely up to her and probably her father, but, you know, whatever. And uh, in terms of, of what would be worst case, I think not winning a title is is not even worst case. I think being injured and missing a Grand Slam would be pretty worst case. I think not reaching at least second week of all four slams would be worst case. But if she doesn't win a title, I don't think that's even worst case. It's just so much potential here. So it's it's okay if the year even doesn't go amazing in terms of actual titles as long as she's performing consistently. I agree. It's more, again, not just no stagnation. You want to see her trying new things, whether it's maybe we learn what a regular forehand volley from Osaka looks like. We learn, <laughs> you know, just these little things. Uh, maybe the forehand, uh, the, the approach, she doesn't slice it as much or she moves forward more comfortably, whatever it is. But uh, a bonus question for you here, because we kind of talked about the things she needed to prove on, improve on earlier. But in terms of the worst case scenario, I think it's not fair to say this would be her fault, but the worst case would be some of these other really talented young players just catching Osaka along the way or because they want to win their first slams or whatever, passing her along this season. And when you look at the groupings of, you know, the Naomi Osaka, Andrescu, Belinda Bencic, uh, Sabalinka, Kennan, that sort of cohort— where do you put Osaka amongst that group? Do you think she's you know, still the top of the group in terms of potential talent, in terms of likelihood to win multiple slams? Because, again, there are so many talented young players right now on the WTA Tour. I'd still put her at the top because she has a little bit more experience than them. She's done it, right? She's already won mm-hmm. these slams, and her game is a little bit bigger. I mean, Sabalenka has a huge game, but she's erratic. Kennan is somebody who would be the worst, I mean, the toughest opponent for someone like Osaka because she's such a fighter, gets so many balls back. But Osaka's game is still bigger. Uh, and I think same with Bianca Andreescu. I think that's someone that Osaka really has to play her best to beat, but her game still has more weapons. And it comes down a lot of times in women's tennis, especially among this group of young players, is who has the bigger weapon, who can finish the point 
most efficiently over and over again. And to me, that's Osaka. Benchich is someone she's lost to, yes, but maybe she'll figure that out in 2020. I love Benchich Osaka matchups. It's literally a battle to see who gets to hit the first backhand down the line. And, and that's what I'm it's all great. about. It's great. Yeah. I mean, women's tennis is all about those backhands. So it's it's fitting. <laughs> that's that's certainly true. I mean, look, that, that's, again, part of the, the benefits of them, all of these young players being good at the same time, is we've gotten to see a lot of them face off at the latest stages of the slams. And I guess... Um, you know, we can sort of wrap on this in, in terms of uh, where Osaka is at. You, you mentioned best case scenario, but let's just go ahead and make a prediction. Do you see a Grand Slam for Naomi Osaka come 2020? I do. I definitely do. And I'm uh, it's the safest prediction is to stay on hard courts. <laughs> I think Australia would probably be tougher because she is going to go in as defending champion. And that's a scary thing. But maybe because she did it at the U.S. Open and failed to defend, she's got that kind of experience under her belt. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say maybe U.S. Open feels better, but who knows? Yeah, I, I like that. I would say, oh, I think she's going to get a medal for sure at Japan, in Japan. I think that's an event she is circling all year long, and she will, you know, take it easy at certain portions of the season if she's feeling down to prepare herself mentally and physically for that. Uh, I don't know if a gold medal counts as a grand slam. <sighs> I'm all. I think 2020 is the year Belinda Bencic gets at least one slam. She was so good last year. She was, you know, has been just as highly touted as all of these young players coming up the rankings as a former World Junior number one. So I don't know if Osaka is going to find the spot for a slam, but I certainly think she's going to finish the year once again in the top five. I agree. I definitely agree. And I think I think as I, we've said here, I mean, I, I think there's room for her to have. A slower year, even if she does, it's not it's not all the bad. It's not that negative. Yeah, I agree. And again, it's about the stabilization of things both on and off the court. We know how talented she is, but once she, you know now she appears to be as you know mentally uh, still stable. I don't know, mentally stable is not the right word, but mentally confident. We'll go with uh, as as she is with her tennis as well. So she is definitely a player to circle come twenty twenty. All right, Nina. Before I let you go, as I mentioned, you are the host of one of our tennis channel podcast network fellow podcast, the Tennis dot com podcast. And for our listeners who haven't checked it out or have, can you give them a little sneak peek of what's upcoming? Ooh, we've got some good stuff coming up. Recorded a bunch of episodes at the USTA, so a lot of. Americans to showcase. Uh, we have a couple different coaches, people that work in development at the USTA. We have Todd Martin coming up as well. So a little bit of an American stretch here for us going into 2020. But it's a fun, it's definitely a fun podcast to be a part of. And it's been amazing improving uh, week after week, kind of like your show, you know, we're just getting better at this. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So were you at the showcase? I wasn't, but Irina was actually commentating for Tennis Channel. She was doing the uh, color side side reporting uh, for Tennis Channel. So that was that was really cool for her. And having that studio at the USTA National Campus in Orlando is pretty great because the players kind of swing through there quite a lot. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I saw, I was watching some of it last time. I did see Irina doing the sideline reports. Uh, I watched her first interview with Ty Kwiatkowski, and you could just see she was thinking on her face, like, do not butcher the Kwiatkowski. And of course she didn't, so it was wonderful. Oh, yeah, uh, that took some practice. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was really cool to watch. But yeah, again, uh, a fan of all of your work, Nina. And for our listeners, again, it's the Tennis.com podcast. You can find her at Baseline.Tennis.com as a writer, editor, producer of so much great work. Nina, thank you for all you do for the tennis community. And know that you are welcome back on this podcast anytime. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Oh, of course. Take care. You
We hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tennis.com editor, writer, producer, and of course, Tennis.com podcast host Nina Pantich talking about Naomi Osaka. As we mentioned, Osaka, one of the few, I think she's one of five players in the 21st century to have won two Grand Slam titles before the age of 22, the company she joined, Serena, Venus, Justine Annan, and Maria Sharapova. So yeah, when that's the company you're keeping in terms of the records you're achieving, you are certainly a player fans are going to be watching. And Naomi Osaka's talent speaks for itself, but I want to thank Nina again so much for just reminding me it's not just the -the on-the-court stuff, but the -the off-the-court stuff that we tennis fans should not only appreciate, but really look forward to seeing from Naomi Osaka because she's such an endearing personality, just such a, you know, the word unique gets thrown around too often, but she really is one of a kind in the tennis world, and that is why we are so thrilled to watch another season from her in 2020. Another thing we are so thrilled about here at Cracked Rackets, obviously, our part Partnership with the Aero Bar. Aero Bar, the new, uh, you've heard me say it before, tennis specific energy bar. Of course, more potassium than a banana, more delicious than a chocolate chip cookie. Honestly, just it's the snack you want. It's not going to melt in your hands. You're not going to be like, oh, did you poop all over your hands? No, it's chocolate. I swear, it's just melted chocolate. Uh, no, that's not going to be the case because they use high melting point chocolate. And more importantly, they think about those things. They say, hey, not only do we want you to por- perform well on the court with this Aero Bar, but we don't want you to look like a fool. And from the beautiful packaging all the way down to their delicious product. Aerobar will help tennis players around the globe. Uh, again, train if you train well, the fuel you put in your body, just as important as, you know, what you're doing on the court. So Aerobar is there to help all of our listeners out become ten- better tennis players. And more importantly, they have been kind enough to give us a signed John Isner racket that we are going to give away to one lucky fan now to enter yourself for that competition. Go leave a review on this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Crack Interviews Podcast. Each review you leave will mean one more time your name is entered into the raffle. And get yourself a chance to win that John Isner signed racket. Now, even if you know, you're never going to serve like Isner, you know what the this racket will serve as a perfect holiday gift for that loved one you know who loves tennis and you know again it's so easy it's a simple review and your name's entered I mean do you want me to stop talking about these reviews go do it and not only that get yourself a free racket along the way so huge shout out to Aerobar we appreciate all they do as well and again for our listeners who are interested in trying an Aerobar you're like wow Gruskin keeps talking this up and you know there's nothing listeners like more than making me look foolish so you want to make me look foolish go order yourself a set use our promo code cracked 30 that's C-R-A-C-K-E-D three zero to get 30% off of your first order and again you, you, you I promise you you're not gonna you know you're gonna love them and you're gonna be like wow I can't talk about you Gruskin that sucks you really actually endorsed a delicious product one that I should have been using and maybe if I had used earlier I instead of being on this podcast I would be being talked about at other tennis podcasts because the fuel I put in my body was so pristine but Speaking of pristine, can never end a podcast without giving a huge shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always. I mean, think about all of the podcasts we've been producing lately. Our College Contender series on the mini break with me, Stokowiak, and Chris Halioris breaking down all of the teams, as well as are the interviews we are doing with these head coaches. We've done six thus far, four more scheduled to get you all ready for the 2020 dual match season. And of course, you know, if you missed any of the content, be sure to check out our website 
website, crackedrackets.com, for the more immediate updates on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at Cracked Rackets. But one last time for our lovely co-host, Nina Pantich, who, again, work you can find at baseline.tennis.com or at with her lovely podcast, tennis, the tennis.com uh, podcast, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and for our entire teams at both uh, Tennis Channel Podcast Network and Cracked Rackets. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.